how does a couple of people go from making music to going, hey, you know, how we, well, let's go, let's go make us some bourbon, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's kind of something in between. There, I think right? there yeah, is. But yeah. well, well, I can tell you that, um, you know, uh, we weren't the typical rock band. So, you know, I was getting my PhD at the time and getting ready to be a medical micro professor. Shane was already an established, you know, professional in business and engineering as well. And so, you know, we kind of had things going on that most, a lot of other musicians don't have going on. We could afford band equipment. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So yeah. we were kind of probably a little better poised uh, than a lot of rock bands to actually start and be successful in the business. Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Randy. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Well, Randy and I had a great opportunity this week to visit the Wilderness Trail Distillery in beautiful Danville, Kentucky. And uh, really had a great time there, sitting down with Pat Heist and Shane Baker, talking about uh, you know the products that they make and their distillery and their commitment to quality. And uh, you know what a what an operation they have there. It's uh, it's not small by any means. It's a big operation, and uh, they were very gracious. They took us on a tour. Uh, we had a chance to taste all their products, and uh, you know we had a chance to sit down in a comfortable room and, and spend about an hour just chatting with them about their vision and uh, of the future and, and a little bit about the past and where they came from. So I think you're all going to enjoy the show. So sit back, relax, enjoy a pour, and make sure you don't tune out early because there's some breaking news towards the end of the show. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Shannon. Randy Minnick. And we are the Bourbon Road. And today, Randy, we are in Danville, Kentucky. Danville, Kentucky, a wilderness trail in this old house. We've got to find out more about this today, too. So, man, nice, nice little, nice little setting. We've got some great guests with us today. And uh, I'd like to take a moment and have you guys introduce yourselves. Yeah. My name is Shane Baker. I'm a co-founder uh, and master distiller here. Welcome to the show, Shane. Yeah, thank you. I'm Patrick Heist. I'm a fermentation specialist and co-founder of Wilderness Trail Distillery. Patrick, good to have you on the show today. So um, we normally don't waste a whole lot of time up front jibber-jabbering about things. We like to go straight to the first pour. There we that's go. Okay. You like that? <laughs> things are always a little better after first pour. But today you guys have brought both the first, the second, and potentially a third pour. So uh, why don't you tell us what you have today for us? Yeah, we've uh, our three whiskeys uh, in front of you are our entire product line right now of of whiskeys. We've got two Kentucky straight bourbons that are both bottled in bond. Um, and the unique thing is one is a uh, high wheat and the other is a high rye. So we wanted to try to make um, really a, a two bourbons that a lot of people could uh, really kind of put the test to rest in terms of are you a weeder or are you a rye drinker? And what we often find is a lot of people enjoy whiskeys, but they really don't know the mash bills or, or that type of thing. And so we wanted to try to create something that, that really appealed to both weeders with the little sweeter tooth or the spicier rye drinker. And then also uh, our, to kind of round out our three, is our Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey with an all Kentucky uh, grown rye so it's a very unique uh, product that's a cast strength rye so it's a single barrel our bottled and bonds our weeder is a single barrel and our rye is a small batch of 12 barrels okay so this first one our glass here is the weeder and uh, what was the wheat percentage in this one so that is 24 percent wheat okay. uh, 12 percent malted barley and 64 percent corn so uh, what we were after there was a an old traditional style mash bill that had uh, really highlighted the small grains. So thirty six percent small grains uh, to us is where the flavor comes from. Uh, we go into really low entry proofs uh, into our barrels, so one hundred and ten proof uh, for our, our bourbons, 
and our rise, we go um, half a year at 100 proof and half a year at 105 proof. Oh, okay. Uh, That's proof. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really sweet on the nose. Yeah, Man. I like that. So this has a very pronounced nose on it. Um, and, and you said this is a bottled and bond product. So yes. this is four years old or maybe a little older. Uh, this, I'm not looking at the front of the bottle, but it should be a five-year-old. Uh, okay. Our weeders are basically into five years. Um, and, uh, our small batch is about four and a half in the bottle and our rye whiskeys are right now being bottled at four and a half. Yeah. Now I've, I've had your product before. I've had the weeded product before. In fact, I got a bottle when it first released. And I have to say that this one has a more pronounced oak on the nose than the one at four years. So you're picking up a lot more oak on the front end of that, uh, that, that nose. Right. Yeah. 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 We're definitely seeing, um, uh, definitely on our weeded line, uh, it continue to mature, uh, you know, uniquely from our original goals. We, we didn't intend to even release this whiskey until six to eight years. Um, and, uh, a long story, uh, got us to kind of looking at them a little earlier and, and we've been pleased, uh, from where they've come out to right now, where they're going. Yeah. So they, they're definitely, you know, changing shape. And I think once we get to our spring release, which would be our six year age stated weeded, uh, bourbon, I think people are going to be able to have a really nice contrast between, you know, our, our kind of our staple bottling and bond and that six year. Right. Yeah, another reason for the difference that you're noticing there is this is a single barrel uh, whiskey. So, you know, okay. you expect a little bit of uh, a little bit of difference, a little nuance. And, and how do the barrels vary? I mean, on these single barrels, do they vary more about the oak influence? I mean, obviously, they're all the same. Um, you know, it's it's um, uh, there's there's a really interesting fundamental baseline to our whiskeys, even on our single barrels. That again, what was part of our goal in the beginning to really create a single barrel product line that had some continuity to it. Um, and but at the same time, allow the barrel to really express, you know, some different nuances. So I think what what I often see are just kind of different uh, levels of flavors or aromas that are accentuated so it could be a higher vanilla or an, an apple or we're getting a pear note or uh, so the barrels are really kind of just allowing some different fruits to come through um, and kind of just subtly change that sweetness at least that's what i get well and also uh back in when, when we were making these bottles or the barrels um there was a pretty much a full-on barrel shortage and so we were at that time getting barrels off of multiple sources and so different barrel manufacturers different treatment of the barrels so there's a little bit of difference even in the types of barrels that we were going into at now that have time. you guys been able to identify which barrels are giving which attributes or um yeah we're honing in on a few are of those you? things yeah. it yeah. takes a lot of data to really start yeah, making sense of anything but we collect data like crazy here so yeah yeah we're the definitely noticing no yeah no we're noticing some new nuances and then we, of course from there we dig into those analytically and uh, and it's interesting we're seeing some you know different things coming out of the barrels that at five years old that we really wouldn't expect to see coming out of a barrel until it was maybe uh seven or eight years old so there's there's definitely things going on with you know the approach of how um how we make our whiskey well should we taste it absolutely cheers i'm already halfway through my glass here <laughs> moment of silence there it is good nice legs randy over oh, is yeah. choking oh that is wonderful so it's very um uh, very viscous and and kind of uh, a mouth coating yeah nice and chewy yeah chewy yeah it does have a good little oil base here. yeah yeah and there are legs all over that glass and they're yeah. kind of, they're not too thin and they're sort of sticking around so yeah yeah I think what's unique is, um, you know, we know just from, you know, definition of making the whiskeys that weeded whiskeys uh, take longer to mature. Uh, they really take longer to really develop and become really robust in that barrel. And uniquely, uh, we're, we're starting to see that, you know, again, at, at a five-year mark of really what I think the weeder is going to become to its ultimately resting point of eight to 10 years. Um but but it's it's very palatable. Uh, it's very smooth. Um, smooth is probably not a word I'm supposed to be using. Um, but it um, that, that sweet mash, the process really allows this to be a very pleasant, you know, sipping whiskey. Yeah, it's a, it's a delicious pour, and uh, 
you know, I'm getting a little bit of fruit on the front of it, but I'll be honest with you, that oak, that barrel has really kind of come into play on this now yeah. that with that extra year, I can definitely tell right. the difference. Yeah. So, but it's not leaving it bitter on the back end, which I kind of expected just a little bit. A lot right. of people comment that uh, the spice that this has in it, which you don't normally associate with a weeder. With a weeder, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uniquely, um, I think we were one of the, uh, the first kind of pioneers, if you will, not, not necessarily in that definition uh, of the barrels that we were using. Uh, as Pat mentioned, you know, uh, five, six years ago, there was a huge barrel shortage. And so we were pretty much getting access to some barrels that other people weren't wanting to buy. And mainly because they were the premium barrels. So if I could buy a barrel for, you know, uh, $200 and then there's another barrel for $500, well, I'm going to buy all I can of the 200 sure. to get my whiskey in. So, you know, we come around and, of course, what's left for the pickings are the three, four, five hundred dollar yeah. barrels. Either the best or the very worst. Right? Exactly. And you know <laughs> Which what? Which are all pretty good, um, actually. Yeah, exactly. and actually all, all very well. But but we entered into using 18-month to 24-month air-dried, you know, stave barrels from Independent Stave and Segwine and, um, and Canton. Uh, and what uniquely we've, um, as with most distilleries, we started with something and we're like, hey, we really like that. We're going to stick with it. Uh, and we also spent a lot of time with with those guys tasting through different, uh, you know, chars and different woods and different barrel types. And and that's ultimately what we chose to, for our main barreling to be. So uh, uniquely, uh, I think we're seeing a lot of that uh, highlighted in yeah. what we are in terms of even that that strong oakiness. One of those analytical things we were talking about, we've seen some some good amount of fur for all. And, and again, that's normally accustomed to very old whiskey that we're getting access in a little earlier. So I would say that the majority of our listeners have no idea what furfural is. So, so can you just it's a give chemical. us so yeah. Yeah, it's just a chemical that's basically, you know, an ester, if you will, that's being developed in the barrel and the alcohol as they're kind of combining or extracting out of the barrel. And uniquely what that 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 natural flavoring, if you will, does for us is it rounds off sharp, astringent oakiness. Okay. So that way, you know, if we know when we get to a certain age, it was like, wow, there's this is old. It's got a lot of wood. I can bit splinters right now. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get into an age to where it's like, wow, you know, that, that is old. And all of those flavors are, are rounded, you know, they're very soft. And so to get to that, you start breaking it down and you get large amounts of, for example, furfural that help round that, that oakiness. And so again, uh, we're paralysis by analysis around here. Uh, we like to know uh, what's going on and, you know, and how, how much more we can understand that. So, those are some things that we, we find out. See, Jim, they talk about rounding that corner too, didn't That's they? right, they uh -huh. do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what number on the on the char? Uh, number four. Number four. So you go for it then. We're, we are across the board on number four. Um, we have we have some a lot of experimental barrels, so we definitely have some number three, some lighter char, but our main staying is uh, number four char. All right. So as we uh, as we continue to sip on this bourbon. I'd like to kind of take us back on the way back, way back machine a little bit, if you don't mind. Is that all right, guys? Absolutely. Can uh, first, can you let me know? Are you both uh, originally from the Bluegrass State? Are you from this area? Yes, actually, I was born right here in Danville. Were you? Yeah. Yeah, I've lived all over Kentucky. I was actually born in Covington, Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, right. and uh, grew up in South Central Kentucky in Clinton County, and then went to school at uh, University of Kentucky. So I spent a good time in Lexington. And then I was a professor at the medical school over in Pikeville and lived there for a Medi while. Medical. What did you teach? Uh, medical microbiology. Oh, well, we're not even worthy to be in the room, are we, Jim? <laughs> I don't know, Randy. I guess you two are the only two no, PhDs. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's off on that molecular stuff. I never got that deep. But I live Soft all science. over Kentucky. So, so, so did you guys, is that where you met was... College no, we actually were running around campus uh, close to the same time, but but didn't know each other uh, until a little bit later. Uh, a mutual friend uh, who was a drummer uh, brought us together and we formed a rock band. So Pat was our uh, lead singer and I was the guitar player. So, yeah. And, and what kind of music did you do? Uh, we were rock, heavy metal, uh, pretty much crowd pleasers. Covers, originals? Both. 
Really? So yeah. who, who all did you cover? I think people might want to might like find Stone that Temple Pilots and um, Creed Allison Chains, and Allison God Chains. Smack. Yeah, Godsmack. Yeah, Slayer. We did some Black Slayer. Sabbath. Yeah. Slayer. Yeah, yeah. wow. <laughs> wow, awesome. you guys are getting into it there. <laughs> so that was the early, uh, early 90s. Uh, Pat was actually, even at that time, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it was. Well, well, you know, Jim, the next transitional question will be, how does a couple of people go from making music to going, hey, you know, how we, well, let's go, let's go make us some bourbon, man. <laughs> there's kind of something in between. There, I think right? there yeah, is. But yeah. Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, uh, we weren't the typical rock band. So, you know, I was getting my PhD at the time and getting ready to be a medical micro professor. Shane was already an established, you know, professional in business and the engineering as well. And so, you know, we kind of had things going on that most, a lot of other musicians don't have going on. We could afford band equipment. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we were kind of probably a little better poised uh, than a lot of rock bands to actually start and be successful in the business. But basically, I mean, you know, my background's microbiology, biochemistry, change the engineer. We both love uh, heavy metal and rock and roll, and we like alcohol, and we're real enthralled with the, you know, whole Kentucky bourbon culture. So, um, you know, we just kind of came together. It was an alternate way to fund the budget, uh, the bourbon budget for the band. Yeah, there you go. Uh, So it's kind of like, you know, hey, we're we keep going in debt at every band practice. And, uh, but no, in actuality, uh, we're we're both, you know, entrepreneurs by heart. Um, I think we were, you know, I don't think we were betting on the band to take us where we wanted to go, but we, uh, we seen things in that relationship and and what we were doing in the band. And, and again, us being entrepreneurs, we kind of felt something together would be really cool, you know, down the road. And, uh, I've got a family background in the, the distilling industry, uh, like Pat said, living here in Kentucky, um, you know, if you, you just grow up around it here. And so right. when you're starting to think about, you know, what would be cool things to do. Uh, oh, just you look at your left hand and uh, you're sipping on some bourbon and you're like, you know, this would be a cool industry. And then all of a sudden we start kind of looking at each other like, hey, we've got the science background uh, to approach this. And uh I think that's what kind of kicked it off. So, I mean, what exactly was your target at that time? I mean, obviously you're a microbiologist and you're an engineer. Was your target the bourbon industry? Because you started with something altogether kind of different, right? Well, that was a function of putting the business plan together. So it was, um, I've got a good, you know, obviously engineering and business management background. So we, we sit down and put the business plan together. Uh, Then very quickly, it was a short meeting of just switch to the back page back page said hey you guys don't have enough money <laughs> to start a distillery and and do what you want, want to do and um so we kind of looked at that and said well but you know hey we've got some band equipment we can sell what can we do and uh and very quickly that just kind of got narrowed down to let's start as consultants uh in the industry cut our teeth you know uh, learn as much as we can build our our budgets and then we'll come back and revisit it and uh, and we were fortunately able to do that six years later uh building that company and then we're like hey we've we've got a budget now and let's let's diversify into what we wanted to do yeah. so okay. tell us a little bit about this first venture this firm solutions and, and sort of how that came together and you know what exactly did the company do for people and yeah well i mean the bread and butter of the company is we sell yeast to distilleries and we also do a lot of work. We, we provide enzymes. We provide uh, antibacterial products to certain types of distilleries. Like we do a lot of, producers. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of um, microbiology and biochemical analyses for distilleries. And one thing we learned early on as yeast providers is the yeast gets the blame for every problem a distillery could possibly have. So you, when you're a yeast, somebody selling yeast to a distillery, a lot of times we're the ones getting the phone call of, hey, this yeast isn't working. So we have to help them to figure out, wait a second, this is a grain quality issue, or you're not successfully converting starch to fermentable sugars, or you got a bacterial contamination issue, or you got a raccoon stuck in the recirculation line. Mm-hmm. You, oh. don't, you, know, you never know what's going to happen <laughs> at these places. Yeah, but what a great launching pad oh, yeah. to get into to bourbon distilling. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, that the advantage that we came out of that when we really 
came back together and said, let's do this. Um, from day one, we had been keeping our little black notebooks of, you know, when, not if, but when we start a distillery. You know, here are some things that we won't do. <laughs> here are some things that we will do. And here's some ideas that maybe, you know, nobody's thought about. And so once we got there, it was easy for us. Uh, and, and it's, you know, uh, again, we're blessed to say that, but we had spent, you know, years climbing around thousands of distilleries, helping solve hundreds of problems a day. And so we've seen a lot. I mean, we've seen more than any one person in the industry would, would want to see um, that can go wrong or right in the process. And so we were able to put that together and launch, uh, you know, from day one, we turned on the steel when we clicked the last breaker, you know, from, from building the distillery. And we were barreling that day. And we never have looked back. I mean, wow. we've had a very successful launch, and and things are working very well. So we've been very fortunate to yeah. use that experience. That we experience got an industry to yeah. start. I guess, I guess, kind of looking back a little bit, you know, you guys are servicing um, a lot of people out there that are, in fact, in the same business as you here. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But you kind of got the bat phone here, right? So when they have a problem, they're picking up the bat phone and calling you guys and saying, "Help us! We don't know what's going on." And right. Wow. And uniquely for us, you know, uh, while it may have only happened one time, if at all, at a distillery, it may have happened five other times at distilleries around the world. So we quickly, you know, recognize what what the issues are. We're able to connect the dots and we're able to problem solve, you know, real time and and help producers get back on on you know track to the quality or the issues or, or Sometimes not even discovering something new, um, you know, so we learn something every day. It's pretty cool. Well, if you look at the size of some of these distilleries, you know, it's no secret what some of these very large bourbon producers are making. I mean, we're making 220 barrels a day. And so, you know, the amount of cash that can be affected by a serious bacterial contamination event or your yeast not working for whatever reason. Right. Or um, your rick house falls down. <laughs> or your rick house falls down. Well, the yeast There's has never got the blame for yeah, 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 rick house falling down. But some of these large <laughs> distilleries we work with over on like the fuel alcohol side, they're making 375,000 gallons of 200 proof alcohol every day. So, you know, I mean, you talk about big fermenters, you know, right. and they need answers now. Sure. You know, every minute it could be a, a problem. And all these problems that you guys solve out there for all these other people now become part of your knowledge base here in doing what you do. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. We and just continue, continue to help customers to, you know, I mean, we don't, we're not stingy with the information. I mean, we have always used the same, these same techniques and information to help other distilleries be the best they can be. So moving forward in time here a little bit, you guys managed to get to the point where you could actually move into the Wilderness Trail Distillery in about 2012, right? Mm -hmm. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the strategies that you had for that particular business and, and going forward and the products that you would make? Yeah, we uh, we kind of, again, from our involvement, I think, out in the industry, we had seen you know the growth. We had seen what a lot of other people were, were doing, and we also kind of naively felt like we understood, you know, the Kentucky bourbon market where we live here and we drink bourbon. So we think we know the market. And um, what quickly we came to was we are mature Kentucky whiskey drinkers. Uh, and that's the area or arena that we wanted to play in. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get into the market today. Uh, you can go, you know, buy some whiskey and immediately day one, uh, hey, you're selling four-year-old product. You're like, well, hey, you just guys just built the place yesterday. Uh, you know, that's one way to do it. Uh, you can come out with a younger whiskey and try to do things. And and that wasn't really what we wanted to do. We wanted to to launch something that we were ready to enjoy the way we enjoy Kentucky whiskey today. We want to go through as much pain as possible. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. That's, no, that's no. the result of the business plan. The the reason you were able to do this is because you the had a cash solution. cow to start with, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, a lot of companies don't have that. Right. And they're going through financing and then they got right. banks demanding their. Yeah. No, we, we were blessed uh, with the opportunity to be able to, to fund. So we were cashing our paychecks from there into this side of the business. And by doing that, we're saying, hey, we're, we're busy. Uh, yeah, we're busy, you know, making the production. Uh, we're busy with firm solutions. So, uh, it makes sense for us to want to age to six to eight years and not even think about it until six to eight years. And then we'll start releasing our whiskeys. 
And uh, and we basically had that vision for the first three years, nine months uh, until we met Bill Thomas uh, over to Jack Rose and he turned everything upside down for us. Um, but but we set off from the beginning of saying, hey, we're going to age a very mature product. Um, that market has always been there and it always will be. Um, that's where, you know, we want to uh, kind of start our foothold and grow from there. And so Firm Solutions is going to help us get there. But we also have to do things of, of building our brand. Uh, so we, we introduced uh, two other products that allowed us to uh, not turn away everyone that came into the visitor center because we, we joined the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Craft Tour. So we had a lot of people showing up ready for bourbon. And we're like, hey, we're this young distillery, but we've got this vodka uh, that we made from our weeded bourbon whiskey. So it comes off double distilled as a weeded whiskey. Uh, it's a three grain. It's the same, you know, as we're drinking right now. And then we turn that white dog, if you will, into vodka. So non-chill filtered, you know, basically <coughs> the bourbon drinker's vodka. Blue Heron vodka. Blue name. Heron, yeah. And, uh, and then we also had a, a weird opportunity come along with some Kentucky sorghum. And uh, we had no intentions of making a rum style product or nothing like that. And we fell in love with Danny Townsend, the, the farmer who, who grows this. And next thing you know, we're, we're aging rum. Uh, and we're able to sell that after about a year or two years of aging. And so that kind of helped us pay the light bill. Uh, again, you know, people had something to taste when they came in uh, besides just something off the steel. And, um, uh, and then from there, we kind of pulled in a little bit of opportunities of doing some contract production. Again, with our involvement of Firm Solutions, we're engaged with hundreds of distilleries every day from a design and build perspective, launching brands, helping brands. So, uh, so we were able to kind of help them lay down a little bit of stock while they're building their distillery and those types of right. things. Right. So, so that really you know, allowed us to kind of not think about the infrastructure of the distillery while we were just making and aging and, and kind of still doing our day jobs and firm solutions. And then, and then, until we crossed over, you know, four years old, now we're in the throw of two vibrant, uh, you know, operations. So if you weren't doing it already hard enough by paying as you go out of your pocket, you decided to also go sweet mash method as well. We did. We did. That was, uh, that, that was a unique choice uh, that, that kind of got narrowed down, uh, one by uh, result and the other by a little bit of history. Uh, my family uh, kind of came from the Kentucky River Distillery, uh, the Camp Nelson uh, Distillery, which had been the old Fitzgerald Distillery. And uh, my grandmother ultimately went on to Stitzer Weller, where she required, uh, retired from old Fitzgerald. But if you look at the, uh, and I've got a newspaper in my office, I can show it to you. Uh, that was the first mentioning that I had come across of hearing sweet mash. Uh, that facility made a sweet mash whiskey and a sour mash whiskey. And so, again, growing up in Kentucky, you pretty much only hear of, uh, I think I only knew of Sour Mash until I came across that article. And so it intrigued us. Uh, we dug into it a little bit more and we started finding really good scientific reasons for making a sweet mash. And, uh, and then we also seen the perils uh, that would come along with it of why no one else wants to make it. Um, and then very quickly, we just, I think Pat's the one that mentioned it, like if we can't pull this off, then it shouldn't be made. I mean, you know, this is what we do for a living is help people with the same exact perils, uh, that would prevent you from doing that. And, and maybe some clarification for your listeners, uh, sweet mash, as opposed to sour mash, sour mash is where a good portion of the water you use in the mashing process is going to be your byproduct of distillation stillage. So that's what a sour mash is. And we just start with fresh water every time. And so taking taking the last batch <clears throat> and taking a large portion of that batch and backsetting it into the next, next batch helps to ward off some of that bacterial problem, right? It reduces the pH and that can overall decrease the potential for bacterial contamination. But there's a lot of other reasons why you'd use it. It's yeah. hot and you're, you know, you can recover that heat. It's something that you have to get rid of. You know, we had, we buy a bunch of cattle to try to feed our stuff to. And I mean, we're trying to do all these different things to try to get rid of it. So one way to get rid of it is just incorporate it back into your process. Right. Okay. So there's several good reasons why you yeah. want yeah, to If you can reduce the waste by a certain percent, then this list you got to manage. And then you have another bourbon here that uh, you're going to let us try, and it's your uh, rye bourbon. Right? Yes. 
and actually why you still have some of the weeded bourbon left in your glass. These are, uh, and Shane might have mentioned it before, but these are actually two identical recipes. One's got, but one's got wheat and one's got rye. So they're both same amount of corn, same amount of malted barley. One's got 24% wheat, which we just had. And then the second one's got 24% rye. <clears throat> is, the, is the malted barley the only thing that you actually source from out of state? Yes. Okay. And actually, we get that from the Louisville elevator. Okay. So, so still, we pull the grain from Kentucky, but it's coming from Wisconsin. Right. Or, uh, yeah, there's no malting facility in Kentucky. And actually, rye production in Kentucky is something that's kind of new, right? It's very well, new. Well, it's old, but it's coming back, I yeah. guess. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when uh, which kind of leads into that, uh, the rye bourbon, uh, why is it a, basically a year uh, behind our wheated bourbon? And it's very simple. When we started off, another one of those goals were to um, try to only work with local grains. Uh, and while that term may be really overused today in a lot of areas, it's important to us because uh, it is supporting you know our local agriculture, our local community. So lo- local really means a lot to us. And um, by looking at that, our partner, Caverndale Farms, um, they are a huge wheat and corn and soybean producer, and they're a seed grade farm. So they actually make the seed uh, for other farms to grow those varieties. Well, they've got to be trusted for that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uniquely, uh, rye and wheat cross-pollinate very easily. So, so they never uh, really got into the rye market because of just their crops. So uh, we started looking around beyond that, and there just wasn't really any. Uh, rye grown in Kentucky because rye is not a grain that grows well in our climate. So we worked uh, with the extension office, uh, Pat worked with UK, we worked with all types of people and we were able to come up with some uh, varietals that would grow rather well here in Kentucky and Walnut Grove Farms in Adairville uh, took on that challenge um, and they grow a Kentucky heritage rye that uh, uh, may not look as good as maybe a Canadian rye grain, but it packs the flavor and it is just as high quality of making a whiskey. Checks all the boxes in terms yeah. of starch content, flavor. flavor and the atten- Yeah. So, you know, those those type of things led us to being about a year later of offering a rye product uh, because we wanted an all Kentucky product. Yeah, I'm sitting there nosing this and it's definitely it's a lot more floral up front. There's a uh, there's the rice spice, I'm picking it up, but not as much barrel as I did with the weeded bourbon. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's where you're going to see those are about a, a year behind in age to our, um, our weeded bourbon. And then also uniquely, um, with, uh, with the small batch, we chose, um, basically 12 barrels, uh, uniquely that's about the batch of one of our fermenters. So if we're trying to get, you know, an entire fermenter, uh, of being, you know, the same whiskey, if you will. Uh, that's why we chose our, uh, our 12 barrel batch. And, um, so that's again, kind of offering us some differences with, uh, with our small batch. Now, are you seeing a lot of consistency between your batches or are you seeing a bit of variation so far? I mean, we haven't yeah. had that many batches yet. Yeah. Uh, now between the barrels, we're seeing a little bit, but I mean, we're very surprised and, and very pleased with the uh, consistency that we're getting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of gets us back in. You know, we we're talking about uh, sweet mash a minute ago. You know, we try to keep things as consistent as possible from batch to batch and from barrel to barrel. And when you look at all the different ingredients that go into it, you know, the different grains, the yeast, the water supply, the type of barrel, air, there's a lot of consistency in those ingredients. But you go throw in something like back set. And it's can be very different from day to day. So it's like if we're trying to go for consistency, then why do we want to include an ingredient which is inherently inconsistent? Right. And at the end of the day, though, I mean, you know, I guess the truth is that a barrel imparts so much onto the, the whiskey that you can only be so consistent. Right. And then the barrel is going to come in and take over. And Correct. Yeah. Well, but you just don't want problems. Right. Like if you have serious bacterial contamination, it can really take it into a like a zone of no return. Yeah. There's nothing that a barrel can do to take away some of the things that you get. Or or if you use poor quality grains or have some type of mold issue in your grains, there are so, certain things that will just really put a, a unpleasant flavor. It just barrel magnifies won't. what's already there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A barrel yeah. won't fix the, the issue. You've got to really focus on that. And in our opinion, from the quality of the grains through the mashing process, the fermentation, distillation, barreling you know the entire process all comes together to really make 
the the whiskey together. We keep track of every little detail. Yeah. I mean, to the nth degree. Really. Well, cheers, fellas. Let's let's cheers. drink the rye bourbon. Absolutely. Oh, that's really good. It's almost got a little bit of a savory note to it. Yeah, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out what that is. Sweet caramel, a little bit yeah. of butterscotch, even. Yeah, yeah. You get a little raisin, like yeah. raisin yeah. prune, something. Oh, raisin prune. Let me try this. <laughs> <laughs> a raisin prune. Yeah, yeah. Uniquely, um, and even I think we'll see when we get to our our high rye or rye whiskey. Um, is that a couple of our techniques of low barrel proof as well as that that aged wood adds a little sweetness to our rise. So now, did you say before what your barrel entry proof was? So on our bourbons, it's 110. Okay. And then our rye whiskeys, uh, we do a half a year split. So 100 and 105. Wow, the finish on this is really something. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, very good. We're happy with it. Delicious. Four well, gentlemen, we'll continue to uh, to sip on this. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, you can introduce us to your rye bur- your rye whiskey. I'm sorry, and we'll talk a little bit more about you know the operation here and what you guys do. All yeah. right, sounds yeah. great. I'd like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family-owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, Give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. All right, so we are back, and uh, I'd like to get right into this this rye whiskey here. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this this is what we uh, like to call a con- Kentucky style rye uh, because it's got corn in it. Um, and so it's 56% rye, 33% corn, and 11% malted barley. So again, we're, we're suiting or shooting for some super high small grains, but for a rye whiskey, not a, uh, you know, a single high rye or a single grain rye. We wanted to have kind of a balance of three different grains in there. Uh, this goes into the barrel at 100 or 105 proof. Um, follows the same sweet mash process, our infusion mashing cooking process. And, uh, and then this is offered at cast strength. So this is a hundred, I think I seen on the bottle, 116 proof. Uh, so this would more than likely went into the barrel around that 105 and would have been on one of our upper floors. Now I did personally purchase a bottle of this when it first came out and I noticed mine was at 98, 98. How does that happen? Great uh, question. Uh, easy explanation. Uh, on those very first barrels that we got, uh, we followed the little instruction sheet that Independence Day sent, which said to hydrate the barrels. Um, and so we did. We put hot water in those barrels, let them kind of you know roll around, let them seal up so they wouldn't. Because uh, those, again, when you get into 18-month to 24-month uh, air-dried wood, you're it's basically rotten wood. I mean, it's pretty pretty old wood. So it's going to leak like an old ship. So you want to hydrate that barrel, or you can, uh, so that you don't lose alcohol, right? Or you can put alcohol in it, and then you can let the alcohol try to hydrate it, and you might lose a little bit. So the instructions were hydrate the barrel. We hydrated the barrels. And what happens when you do that, the barrel sucks in about you know a couple of gallons of water. So when we entered in at 100 proof, the resulting water that was already soaked into the barrels reduced the proof. And this is also one of the barrels that actually was aged in our smallest rickhouse, 
which only has two stories. Okay. So uh, it really didn't see, you know, a lot of evaporation. And if anything, it pretty much kind of held its own uh, in the floor that it was on. Uh, but that hydration step is what lowered uh, that down. We, we stopped doing that after about six or seven months. Okay. So you, you basically are now taking the losses that occur by allowing the the spirit itself to hydrate the wood? Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, now we are just using the barrels uh, more real time. So like if a barrel, you get a barrel and it sits around for a couple of weeks, uh, that thing's going to loosen up because you know, okay. they, they pressure test them at the, the cooperage. So if you're ready to use that barrel, you got a good chance that you're okay. So, you know, a truckload has 280 something barrels on it. Well, we now go through basically a truckload a day. Wow. So, so literally the truck's backing in, uh, we're using it. And, you know, if you look in our lot, we've got several trailers stacked up. So we're on like a, you know, just a rotational. So now we're using those barrels in times that we don't have to worry about them drying out. Whereas before, you know, we're like, ah, you know, we could see cracks through them because <laughs> we just weren't making that many barrels. Per Plus, day. you're filling one barrel a day. You got a lot more time to do things like <laughs> yeah. leak check the barrel. If yeah. we did that every barrel now, we'd be busy. Yeah, we went from one long. barrel a day, two barrels a day. You know, 12 barrels a day to 210 barrels a day. So so the difference in age between that first release that hit shelves at 100 or sub 100 proof to what we're drinking today, what's the difference in age there? Probably. They're probably pretty close. Um, Maybe five, maybe I'm going to say four or five months. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it really is that hydration that, that oh, played yeah. the big part. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. I think at that time we might have been doing some experiments, filling it in different proofs uh, as well. Yeah, uh, it was that's a great point, Pat. Um, we were we were set on what we wanted to do with our bourbons. We kind of again in Kentucky, we know what's going on in bourbon production, but there really wasn't that much to be known about rye whiskey at that time. You know, five years ago, and so um, we didn't know what would be the best. You know, from an analytical approach. So for the first several months. If not, uh, maybe almost that first year, we did a gradient every month. We'd start off at 100 proof, go all the way up to 120. And so right now, as we're releasing barrels, what we're coming across are all, hey, this barrel you know, may have been the one that went in at, at 110, or this may have been a, a 115 uh, proof. We went in at 100, 105, 110, 115, 120. So the, the bottle you were talking about, it probably went in at 100, at 100. and it also was hydrated. Okay, right? got it. Yeah. And that would have been your initial release. That to would have been our first barrels ever. Yeah, yeah. And this is at what now? That's 116 proof. 116 now. Yeah. Barrel proof. And I think, again, barrel. you know, what's um, what it seems like we're, we're getting uh, kind of known for in our whiskeys is just that exceptional palatability and that drinkability. Uh, at high proofs. So, you know, our bottled and bonds are a hundred proof and they, they were just silky, you know, going down here. We are now at our 116 proof cast strength. Um, and it's just got that same silkiness, you know, going down and I'm getting a lot of cotton candy in this. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the floral notes on the front end of this are just, uh, and I can't figure out what flower I'm getting. Well, yeah. It's not, uh, it's like it's like or yeah. something. Yeah. That, and and I'm definitely getting the the conifer or or, or um yeah, I get that evergreen. Yeah, classic, classic. Too much orange on this one. Now I've had some of yours before mm -hmm. that you really get a punch of orange. Yeah. And, and I think we see uh, and again, what again we're we're starting to learn more about uh is those different expressions at different uh proofs, entry proofs. So again, you know what, because uh, it's all about an extraction process, right, of, of either a balance of water solubility or more alcohol solubility in the barrel. So what is being extracted is really based on the level of that mixture. So uh, we're starting to see that we might be accentuating uh, certain flavors or things at, at different proofs. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Again, we're, you know, this is an area that we have 15 years of experience uh, in the making of whiskey. Uh, a lot longer enjoying whiskey, but very little experience in where we're at right now. So we're we're still learning every day. Oh, that is really good. I'm getting a little anise. I, oh, I'm sorry, guys. We didn't cheers, but I, I just went ahead. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking too I much. I'll talk, I'll drink. Right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge rye fan, and your rye is one of my, your rye is one of my favorites. But uh, I've noticed so much difference going from bottle to bottle. This one has got a little bit of licorice. Right? A little mm -hmm. bit, not too much. Yeah. Some people don't like too much of that, but I mm -hmm. like a little bit sometimes. It's good. Mm -hmm. From the nose, I was expecting a lot 
different than I got on the taste. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's peppery. It's spicy. It's it's good. It's still sweet. Yes, yeah, get that sweet overtone still. Mm, it's good. Um, and you know what's now? What's the age on this again? So that would be about four and a half years. Okay, old. but not bitter on the on the back end. You know, are you guys looking forward to higher aged rice? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Again, I, I think you know ultimately our whiskey sweet spot is going to be that six to eight, even for your rice. So. Even for a rice, okay. and then from there, you know, that's kind of our new resting pad. And then from there, we're, we're going to try to get older expressions, you know, into that 10 and 15 and, and that type of thing. But we want to get into that six to eight category. That That's where we want to play at. So you guys have obviously grown a lot since you began. So I guess your first distillation occurred in 2012? 2013, actually. 2013. Yep. We're now 2019. A number of years have gone by here. And you've had to scale up. So can you tell us a little bit about your equipment and kind of where you started and where you are now? Yeah. Uh, we started off with a 300-gallon Vendome uh, hybrid pot steel um, because, again, on that early goal, we wanted to make a, a lot of different spirits. And also because of Firm Solutions, um, we wanted to be have the ability to train across multiple spirits. So that hybrid still allows us to make a whiskey, a vodka, a rum, those type of things. So uh, bolted off the side of that are uh, two rectification columns, rather. And that allows us to make, you know, higher proof alcohol. So in essence, that was our first steel, but really today it's our finishing steel. Uh, now we only use that since uh, 20, for vodka, for vodka rum. and rum since 2016. Um, and all of our other whiskeys have been made on our column steels, which are, again, are all, all Vendome. All of our equipment is Vendome uh, made up in Louisville. And that was on 500 gallon fermenters. Yes. For our small pot steel. And then from there, we uh, moved up to. Uh, now, now, I'm sorry to interrupt, oh, but yeah. so to try and scale that, did you say how many barrels a day that produces? So that would produce about two barrels per day. Two barrels per day. Yep. And that's one shift or that's around the clock? Oh, uh, that was about a shift and a half. Okay. Yep. All right. We get two barrels out of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, no shorter than uh, two years later, um, uh, we moved into our first column, which was an 18-inch uh, continuous column with a 250-gallon doubler. 18-inch so, diameter. It's 18 actually inch 40 diameter. feet tall. Yeah, yeah. It's actually yeah, over 40 yeah, feet tall. A little tall. tiny steel. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that that makes uh, that makes forty barrels of whiskey per day. Wow, uh, that's so around that, the clock. Yep. There so that's a twenty four hour operation. And so at that time, we actually only started up probably the first month on the first shift. Within two to three months, we were on the second shift, and within six months, we were at three shifts on that. Um, and then just very quickly, we uh just seen the opportunity to to kind of double down beyond where we were at uh, another great year of firm solutions i think and uh so in 2017 2018 we added our 36 inch column and expanded the fermentation house to 20,000 gallon fermenters uh from our 4,000 gallon fermenters on the 18 inch side so all all on cash all on cash. You guys from, are from amazing. Solutions. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you know, we, we don't have any left. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One way to make a small fortune in this business is start with a large fortune. So we got a shitload of bourbon. No, really. I mean, we we could have uh, we answered this question a lot, um, and uniquely, we could have got to where we are today a lot quicker. But we would be in a completely different business environment. Uh, we make the decisions. Uh, when we're ready to do something, we're, we're ready to do that. Um, and, uh, and we're having fun. And so it's, it's been, uh, you know, a lot of stress, a lot of challenges. You know, we definitely have, you know, not had our challenges on the finance side of stretching one business, which is also growing and, and straining another. Uh, but it's been well worth the wait. Uh, we're, we're pleased with our whiskeys and, and where we're going with things. Well, with, with the big demand on your products now. Are you still able to do the the contract distillation you were talking about uh, earlier? Well, you know, uniquely, uh, when we brought on our 36-inch steel, it brought on an enormous amount of capacity. Uh, so we can do, in essence, 72,000 barrels per year uh, production. And uh, so even though our brand is growing and we are laying down, uh, this year we laid down close to 15,000 barrels uh, you know, of our own stock, but we're going to make 45,000 barrels this year. 
So we are still able to kind of tap in and help some some contract production. Now, wait a minute. You guys are on the craft distillery tour. That means you're supposed to be a craft distillery. It sounds like you're a major producer. <laughs> we we have been for a while, yes. Yeah, there's there's some uh, dynamics to the heritage trail, to the craft trail, that we've been creating new rules and, and dragging our feet. <laughs> yeah. We're uh, about the 14th largest producer, according yeah, to uh, yeah, Jordan Cattle. Cattle Math. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uniquely, uh, this is our year that we're supposed to be uh, moving up. Um, okay. So there's kind of uh, a little uh, little breaker of news there. But uh, wow, that's awesome! Yeah. Well, so, if you consider that you know a thousand barrels is a quarter of a million bottles, then you know I mean seventy thousand barrels capacity. I mean, if we were going to put that much juice away. For our own brands, not only would we definitely be broke, but you know that's just a lot of juice. I mean, we don't expect to be, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe down the road our kids' kids, uh, hopefully, you know. That type now, of do thing. you guys have confidentiality agreements with all of your customers? Are you allowed to dis- disclose? Pretty much for the most part, we we do, especially have, the yeah. major ones. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah I can understand yeah. that. We, we kind of have a rule uh, between our two businesses, uh, Firm Solutions and the Distillery. You can go into any liquor store, um, walk 10 paces and turn, and you're probably within arm's reach of somebody we do business with. Wow. Um, and again, that's from Firm Solutions to, to the distillery. So how many barrels do you guys have maturing on site right now? Uh, a little over 35,000. Okay. And, and how many barrels are held in a typical warehouse, uh, rickhouse? Uh, well, we, we're actually the parade of homes of warehouses uh, yeah. for music <laughs> construction here. We started off with a 2,500 barrel, uh, what we call our single barrel warehouse. So all of our single barrel product is aged in a two story, kind of a, kind of a play off of the scotch and the, the Irish producers. Uh, and what our goal was there was to create very close aging to floors. So we only have two floors to deal with and our temperature variance is only six to eight degrees, right? We moved into our second warehouse, which is a 10,500 barrel warehouse, and it's a five story. Um, And then we moved on to our third warehouse on that side, uh, which is a 20,500 barrel warehouse. And that was also the fourth warehouse that we built is a 20,500. And that'll pretty much be the size of warehouses we build from from now on. Yeah. So where do you think you'll be five years from now? How many barrels do you think will be aging on site? Just just to give us a pie in the sky idea. Um, probably close to sixty, seventy thousand barrels. Wow, that's great. Yeah, guys, you're you're selling it. Oh, so so is this available everywhere, or just here in Kentucky, or what states? Currently, we are only available in twelve states: uh, the UK, uh, Norway, and uh, soon to be Paris, France. So, um, but, but all of that really has to do with our allocations because, uh, part of our growth, especially on the early side, you know, we weren't producing this amount every day. Um, and with our goals of having whiskeys in the six, eight, 10, 15 year categories, um, we've only been able to kind of, you know, allocate and grow into those, those states. Um, but this fall we cross over another threshold of, you know, six-year-old whiskeys, which gives us access to more five-year-old whiskeys. And so we'll be moving into California, Washington, Arizona, and Nevada uh, this fall. So finally going to the West Coast. Had you been producing, you know, so many barrels a day four or five years ago, it might be a different story today, wouldn't it? It'd be a totally different (laughs) story today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have any hair besides just gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so other than these three that we've tried today, uh, your uh, weeded whiskey, your uh, rye with your rye bourbon, and uh, not you know weeded whiskey, your weeded bourbon, your rye bourbon, and your Kentucky rye. Do you have other expressions in mind for the future? We do. Um, uniquely, for us, another expression are taking these whiskeys into a very aged category, you know, so really putting some nice age statements, getting some eight to 10 year old whiskeys. So that for us is uh, definitely a goal of expression of these whiskeys. Um, From there, we have um, nothing really mainline, uh, but we do, as Pat mentioned, a lot of experimentation every year. 
Uh, we're either putting down some four grain whiskey or we're putting up some some 95% rye or we're putting up a, a weeded whiskey. Or we're, we're doing something different. We're playing with different barrels. We're doing different yeast. And so those type of things are going to be some interesting, you know, cycles of uh, releases, you know, over the next couple of and years. Those will be small. Will those primarily be like gift shop releases? Do you think? Uh, they could be a couple of them. will actually, I think make it out to like a holiday, uh, holiday store, or maybe even like a special barrel pick for somebody. Okay. Yeah, you don't um, want to mess with this right too much. So. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's nice. Yeah. So, so really, you know, for, for us, um, and we're rooted in our three whiskeys, uh, that we feel, um, um, you know, kind of encompasses our local air area, our terroir, you know, that type of thing. And then from there, I think we just, we're really focused on expanding what more can these whiskeys offer with just getting older. And, and then from there, you know, we, we've started talking about, you know, barrel finishing and different things, but barrel proof, yeah. uh, even offering a lower proof is more of an economic brand. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can take three different recipes and make many different products now would you do that under the wilderness trail name or would you maybe spawn off another it's a good question brand Uh, still trying to figure that out yeah one thing we are not good at is marketing well well, (laughs) you also got to see what the lawyers and the accountants say too oh yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah 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 so um before we you know came to the podcast here jared was nice enough to take us on a tour of your distillery and we got to to look at everything can you guys kind of give us just a 10,000 foot view of what a, what a visitor might expect at your distillery tour experience here. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> being kind of the, known as the science guys of bourbon and then in our entire operations, pretty scientific, not just Shane and I, we got a lot of highly qualified people that work here, but we give people a real in-depth look at kind of, you know, open up the doors to them and let them kind of see what we do and, how we use science in every step of the process and how we use that to, you know, not only in our firm solutions company, but how that bleeds over into wilderness trail. Okay. So in a nutshell. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, what we've been able to incorporate is um, you've got a little bit of both of our businesses that really are about our, our root story, where, where we come from. You're able to see our lab. So we got big windows, you know, typically you don't, you're not able to see that. Right. And so, we're highlighting a lot of cool things and plates moving around and machines shaking stuff and, you know, different science stuff going on. It kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, in that movie Jurassic Park when they the tour took them past, <laughs> past the window with all the scientists in the room behind the glass. It's yeah. kind of the same situation but, here. But yeah. I think Jared used the word best when he said transparent. Right. You yeah. Know, hey, yeah. everything we do is available to be. Right. Everything's got windows. You know, we're not trying to hide anything here. Yeah. And, you know, he used a lot of big words out there, too, like stasis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when, they, when the yeast hits its stasis. And I'm sitting there going, okay, here we go. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, uh, you'll see a science introduction. And then from there, you're going to enter into a modern, traditional Kentucky distillery. Um, like, like Pat said, we've got a lot of technology that we've designed in, but, but we're open top fermenters. You can see what's going on. You can see our steels. Mashing process. You, yeah. can, see you can see our cooking process, our mashing process. Pot distillation, only. column distillation. Right. Yeah. And you're able to see, you know, things just going on. Barrel filling. Um, and, and we were even so transparent that we take you through the parts of operations that, that nobody wants you to see, which is usually the back end of the business where we manage our stillage. Uh, and we're kind of proud of how we manage our stillage uh, in terms of feeding you know, about 5,000 head of cattle here locally. We give that away for free. Um, other things we do for free is we offer uh, any veterans, uh, you know, free tours. And, and uh, if you're a part of the, the civic support network of a police officer or a firefighter or anything like that in that support network, we offer free tours. We do a lot of events throughout the year to kind of cater to uh, people who put that sacrifice before us. That's great. That's really great. Now you guys do hold events here at the distillery. Like you have, you hold um, musical events and, uh, and picnics and things like mm-hmm. that. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about some of that stuff, what you might have Kentucky coming up? Kentucky State Barbecue Festival is coming one. up a uh, weekend after Labor Day. Yep. September okay. the 6th through the 8th, mm-hmm. the Kentucky State Barbecue Festival. That's uh, probably our biggest, definitely our biggest. All of the, the nation's celebrity pit masters would be here. So okay. they are, you know, they've been on TV. They're grand champions like Mo Kaysen and uh, those guys. Uh, bands all weekend. Pat's actually debuting his band 
on a Sunday at one o'clock. And what's this band called, Pat? Zella May. The name of that band is Zella May. Zella May. Zella May. I've got too much arthritis, so I had to back off. <laughs> Still trying to get him to join uh, at least for one uh, his tribute vocals song. Are going, yeah. You can sell all your equipment to me. And that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is yeah. all happening smack dab in the middle of Bourbon Heritage Month. Right in yep. Bourbon Heritage Month. It kicks off the week before the Kentucky Bourbon Festival you know, over in Barstown. So it's a huge event. Um, we do that also. So in October, we are doing a uh, our fourth annual ch- uh, charity chili cook-off. So a bunch of teams come in and participate for trophies. But that is to raise exclusively money for our local Kiwanis. So that program is for our seniors and our local children uh, for Christmas. So it helps them in Christmas time to, to get things that, that normally they wouldn't, wouldn't be getting. So we do that in October. Uh, we have car shows and different things throughout the year. And usually anytime we have events like that, uh, we're raising money for charities. Um, we've got a couple of charities very dear to our hearts uh, that deal with uh, fighting cancer. And so we've had a lot of those this year. Last year, we raised a little over probably fifty or $60,000, and, and we donated probably double that. Um, and uh, this year, our goal is to exceed that. So uh, there's actually a special, really special barrel pick that we did at a Bourbon Crusaders event okay. uh, back last November that was at the Will It To Be Cured event. Uh, shout out to Drew and the team at Willett. They are uh, amazing. And, and honestly, I don't think we would be where we're at today without Willett uh, in terms of our relationship. But we were able to participate in that event and pick a very special, at the time, a 15-year-old uh, Willett barrel. Uh, so we brought that back and aged it for a year. Uh, and now we're going to release that as a 16-year-old uh, special barrel pick that 100% of the proceeds go again for the same cause to the American Cancer Society. That's awesome. So our goal there is really to see how much money can one barrel raise. And so we've already got some people who are interested in buying the bottles who are, again, going to put them up for charity. So, I, you know, th- this story is going to be told for, for years to That's come. That's good. Yeah. Well, well, do you guys do barrel picks here at Wilderness we do. Trail? We do. Yes. Yeah, we just did one today, actually. Yeah. We opened that program up uh, back in um, April. Um, and, and actually we're a little naive to it. I mean, we're just like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll open this program up and, uh, it's been hugely successful. Uh, we've had to change our allocation to that program three times already, uh, because people like, would come in. Which barrel do you want? Oh, we want all six. Yeah, we them. want all, like, whoa, like, wait a minute. Uh, so we're, you know, we're thinking <laughs> they're going to pick one and here's one and, and they end up wanting you know, all of them. And uh, so it's been a great program. Part of that program also supports uh, raising money for some charities. And uh, so it's been a very good program to be a part of this year. Now, when can, when can uh, people expect to see some of those barrel selection bottles hitting shelves? They should already should have started seeing them. Okay. So we've been now shipping the private picks for about two months. Mm-hmm. Two months. A lot of activity in the D.C. area. Okay. Uh, guy right. up there named Prov, he does uh, barrel picks, and he's pretty well known up there. And they just got the Prov pick uh, okay. uh, put mm. out there. Yeah. And get a lot of attention. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen any locally yet. I mean, maybe there's none around our area, or there is. There was some at uh, we did one with uh, Liquor Barn at the Forecastle. Okay, uh, so definitely at the Forecastle. I think they got gobbled up there. Um, I think Kroger's is Kroger's, Kroger's has got several uh, Cork and Barrel, Cork and Bottle, um, Galveston Boys up in Northern Kentucky. Um, they they should they should have some stock. Okay. Um, well, I, yeah, I, I was saying they should have. I've kind of been keeping it. my ear open a little bit. And I was thinking maybe it was going to be beginning of September before we started to see these drop around us. Oh, so. uh, yeah. No, we've been shipping them for okay. a while. We're, we're trying to chew away at them um, each week uh, and, you know, in terms of our regular stock. And, and again, it was something that uh, kind of caught us by surprise just on the popularity of that. And uh, so we've been a little, little behind in production. All right. Well, we would like to give you guys an opportunity to um, let our listeners know how to get get in touch with you. You know, how to your website, your social media, if they want to reach out to you. Uh, obviously, we're in Danville, Kentucky. They can always come visit you. Uh, but uh, take a moment and let them know 
uh, yeah. how to get a hold of you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think the easiest way to remember, because we're enjoying it right now, is we're www.kentuckystraightbourbon.com. Uh, Believe it or not, we did somehow snag that. We somehow <laughs> snagged that years ago. Um, Somebody was sleeping at the wheel. At the yeah, end. so uh, that will lead you right to Wilderness Trail, or you can go wildernesstrailky.com or Wilderness Trail Distillery or any other combination. I think we've got all of those. Uh, but we are located here in Danville, uh, off of Lebanon Road. Uh, there's plenty of signs, directional signs in town to lead you to us. Uh, we're open for tours Tuesday through Saturday, 10 till 5. Um, and uh, we'd love for, for anybody to come out and, and see the place and, and try to uh, taste and enjoy our whiskeys. Well, Shane, Pat, we, we appreciate the invitation to come down today. Yeah, well, what, Thank what, you. what a pleasure, yeah. Pleasure to talk with you and uh, and uh, learn more about what you're doing here. And uh, hopefully, you know, we get with you again someday, and we'll do this. We'll do this again and down the road and find out where you are. So Look forward to it. Yep. Sounds right. we have air conditioned by the yeah. Hour. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Right. We do appreciate all of our listeners, and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the Bourbon Road. We hope you enjoyed today's show, and if so, we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five-star with a review on iTunes. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Bourbon Road. That way you'll be kept in the loop on all The Bourbon Road happenings. You can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog, listen to the show, or reach out to us directly. We always welcome comments or suggestions, and if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.